Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Man, this is a great interview that you are going to be listening to, attracting passionate fans through branding. We all know that works. And I'm talking to David Merriman Scott. I'm telling you in this interview, we go, we talk about fans from the Grateful Dead. We talk about fans in sports. We even talk about, uh-oh, lunatic fans of uh, Donald Trump and how he actually used fans to get elected. So there's a lot of things that come in this interview. And I'm talking about this new book, that's out right now, Fanocracy, from David Merriman Scott. He's an internationally acclaimed business strategist, entrepreneur, advisor to emerging companies, and is, of course, a public speaker. I've been on stage with David numerous times. He's actually been to our C-Suite Network conferences and is always a favorite. And we have him right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Everyone, welcome David Merriman Scott. Hey, David, good to talk to you. How's your brother doing? That's how, we, that's how we got introduced, I think, about 10 years ago. We did. Alan's doing great, as a matter of fact. He's at Gartner Group now and really enjoying it. So good for him, right? Yeah, one of the best CMOs out there. He's a really good guy. And, it, you know, I don't think I've actually seen him in about 10 years, too. So it's been a long time. But we keep in touch through you and through social media. I've seen him a few times, <laughs> not many more than you, though. He's uh, he's um, busy, busy, and we don't live very close to each other, but it's all good. Last time I saw him was in June, and we went to uh, a Grateful Dead concert together. So there you go. Hey, oh, that's that's fantastic. You know, what's it like? I It's, it's very interesting. Uh, family dynamics. I mean, how many other brothers, sisters? There's three boys in the family. So I have two brothers. I'm the oldest. My Brother Alan, who you know, is in the middle, and then we have a younger brother, Peter. And what's your other brother, Peter, do? I'm just curious. He's an investment banker. He runs his own small investment banking firm. I mean, your, your parents have to be really proud. <laughs> I mean, you got three three guys that are really doing well. I just says that that says something. It's interesting. I mean, and we've all gone our own ways. Um, mm -hmm. We've all kind of are all entrepreneurial in some way or another. So I think it's great. I know my mom's really proud. My dad passed on a couple of years ago and he was uh, as well. Mm -hmm. it, it is. Um, and I, I'm now seeing it from the other side. My daughter, Reiko, who's 26, is just about to graduate from medical school. And she's my co-author in my new book. And it's just, it's amazing to see how these kids grow up. I met your, one of your daughters at one point and she yep. seems to be doing great too. Yeah, I, I have one daughter and one son, and they're both doing both in the business, both great. Uh, not doctors, but you know what the heck? Hey, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it because they. Well, no, they, I, re I remember when I met your daughter, and she was like, "Wow!" I'm like, "This is she's great." I mean, she's so interesting, and she was in the business, but she was like, kind of telling you what to do in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a lot of people doing that. That's, that's true. <laughs> Let's just jump right into this book. I mean. Fanocracy. What what the heck does that mean? <laughs> so a fanocracy is when fans rule. A fanocracy is when an organization treats customers with respect. They get so passionate that they actually become fans of an organization. And I wrote it with my daughter, as I mentioned, and it was really interesting because I've been like thinking about fandom because I'm such a geek about live music. I've been to 790 live music shows in my life. And I've said, 
been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. And I'm like, what is up with that? And I said to Reiko, what's up with that? And she said, I know. What about me? I've not only read every Harry Potter book multiple times and seen the movies, I wrote a 90,000 word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix. What's going on with that? So we just decided that this idea of fandom is so nutty, but so interesting how people have these passions. And we just decided totally dig into it, which we've been doing for the last five years, researching, writing, thinking about this idea of fandom. How did you come up with the, the title? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, you've written book titles. This one was, was, it took a year to come up with the title. I wanted to have a word that I was introducing to the lexicon. I've done that once before. I invented this concept called newsjacking. Which I I want to kind of get into at some point. Yeah, sure. And I remember when I spoke at one of your events, I did a talk about newsjacking and got some good attention. So newsjacking became such a popular concept. The word newsjacking is now in the Oxford English Dictionary, which I'm like, wow, that's pretty freaking awesome that, that, you know, a mere mortal can invent a word that can become so popular that the people at the Oxford English Dictionary stick it in. They put my name against it. So that got me tons of attention, not only for the concept, but the fact that I named it and that tons of other people are talking about it. So I wanted to do the same thing with a book about fandom. And I didn't want to use the word fandom because that's been used or the word Mm -hmm. fan and that's been used. But I also wanted the word to kind of feel like it's about fandom and kind of give you an idea what it might be like, which is the same thing with newsjacking. So I wrote down the word fan and made it into a bigger word. And I think I had a, a spreadsheet that had hundreds and hundreds of different words. And I just stewed over it. And I kept thinking of new words. And fanocracy is the one that continued to come back to me as the number one. And that's what I went with. It's more powerful. You know, you think about fandom. To me, that's like the kingdom. Fanocracy denotes action, denotes more power to me, denotes an ownership. Right. Rather than like fandom to me means I could be a serf in the kingdom. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's the way I, I think a lot of fans are. Fanocracy says, no, I've got I've got a part to play in this thing. That's right. I have a voice. Right. That's exactly right. And that's exactly right. And that's exactly the way that we are thinking about this concept. It's the whole idea of what you've built with the C-Suite Network. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got tons of fans of what you're doing, but they're not fans from afar. They're part of it. They're um, in it. Yeah. They're and, in you know, it. And, and they're helping you to create content. They're passionate to go to your events and to consume the content. And that's really what this idea of fanocracy is. And we are truly believers that any person or any organization can do this. Even technology companies, even B2B companies, even companies that are selling a commodity. And not many people really think that way, but we have uncovered a bunch of of examples in all of those categories about how organizations can build fans. 
Well, and to me, David, and this is what I like. First of all, I love the thought process that you put into coming up with names. I'm I'm very similar. You and I are a lot alike in a lot of ways. And I think that's why whenever we're together, we have such great conversations and we just get the business. We get who we are. We, we don't take ourselves too seriously in this whole process, which a lot of thought leaders tend to start believing their own stuff a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh, no, no names will be named. No, but no yes, names I mean, will be but yeah. I know exactly what you mean. What I like about you, and I'm similar, is that we're very good at our craft. I mean, when I saw newsjacking, I went, oh, that's just freaking brilliant. Okay. And the same thing with this term that you've used for binocracy with the book. I, I too, I got to put in a couple of plugs. I came up with words that have been used that are now cheap blogging chief blogger, yeah, chief yeah. listening officer. I did right. those. Twanker was the one one that I got was a, a person who is abusive on Twitter as a twanker. <laughs> and so that's another one. And that one didn't get ta- didn't take off as much. They just started becoming more just everybody calls them trolls. Here's what I like about phonocracy and that you mentioned this with our C-suite network and what you're talking about. There's power in communities. Yes. And, and I'm a real believer that anyone that wants to really have value because of the disjointed media that we're facing today, you have to create a huge, you know, uh, Seth calls it a tribe. I just call it a community because I think it's more than a tribe. I think it's a community because you've got to have infrastructure, platforms, a way to buy things, a way to express yourself. And, and that's why I love your phonocracy. How does this understanding of fandom around things that people are interested in personally, like music or sports or, you know, people, you know, even Tony Robbins and people like that, how does that equate to business success? Great question. So, and you're absolutely right about what I'm calling digital chaos. You know, this whole idea of what's going on online is people are like, doubling down and cranking stuff out. And there's the whole polarization around um, the political environment. I think what people are searching for, and it's what you've built. You mentioned Tony Robbins. I speak at all of his business mastery events. He wrote the forward to this book. And what he's built and what so many other organizations have built is a true human connection. Yeah, That's what we're after. When everyone's doubling down on social networks and you feel kind of gross <laughs> when you go into social networks sometimes. You know, I, I was on Facebook recently and, and, and I, I thought I was talking to a person. And I realized after like a couple of minutes. It was a bot. bot. I was talking to a freaking robot. And it was kind of like on one hand as a marketer, I was fascinated. But on another hand, I'm like, that's just I feel yucky right now. So this idea of fandom, fanocracy, this idea is that we all are hungry for a genuine human connection with people. And that can take many forms. And as an organization or as a person, we can build it in many ways. I think it's the most powerful form of, you know, you're a marketer, I'm a marketer, call it marketing if you want, but it's one of the most powerful forms of marketing there is, is building fans and having a human connection with other people. Imagine the lifetime value of me as a Grateful Dead fan having gone to 75 shows. I mean, it's crazy. And it's because I'm a fan. And it's not necessarily because of the music. It's because that's where my best friends are. That's where, that's where I'm comfortable. I can turn to any other fan in a Grateful Dead show and immediately have a connection because we speak the same language. Because probably even get a hug. 
Yeah, get yeah. a hug or or beer or 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 quite frankly, if it's a, if it's a, a a a dead concert, a toke. You know. Well, <laughs> hey, I I live I live in Massachusetts, and that's legal here, so I can I can I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, speaking of fans, let me just take a quick break because I've got lots of fans that want to hear these kinds of messages. So just give me a second. C Suite Radio. Okay, we're back. Hey, we're talking about the human connection. It's amazing that people don't think that in communities and especially online that you can't have the human connection and yet you can, can't you? Oh, you can. And we we dug into it deep. My daughter, Reiko, did an under, undergraduate degree in neuroscience at Columbia oh, wow. uh, before she went on to med school. And we actually interviewed a bunch of neuroscientists for this fanocracy book. And there's a concept we uncovered that was so fascinating that kind of defines this idea of, of human connection. And it deals with proximity. And in other words, we humans are hardwired to have a strong emotional connection the closer we get to other humans. Now, if that other human we're getting close to is a friend, that connection gets stronger. If they're a danger, that element of danger gets stronger. And there's four zones of this proximity. There's the um, public zone, which is further than about 20 feet. There's the social zone, which is from about four feet to about 20 feet. The uh, personal, which is about a foot and a half to four feet, which is sort of cocktail party distance, and then intimate distance, which is only for uh, very close um, friends and family members. And it turns out that if... By the way, do you name these zones? No. They're they're almost like rings, right? Yes, exactly right. Around like almost like like peels of an onion. They were named by a neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall. But it turns out that the closer you can get to your customers, the more powerful the human connection. So that means if there's a way that you can get into the personal and social space of your customers, that you're building a way more powerful connection. And there's a bunch of organizations that purposefully do that. At the same time, another neuroscience element, which is fascinating, is the the idea of mirror neurons. Now, mirror neurons are the neurons that fire in our brain when we see somebody do something. So if you see me take a bite of lemon, it's like, oh my gosh, that lemon is so tart and my eyes close and my mouth is watering and my my face kind of scrunches up. I'm tasting that lemon. I'm going to guess that you might have tasted a little bit of that lemon too in your brain, even Uh just as I'm talking about it, Uh because of this concept of mirror neurons. Now, what that means is that you can actually use video and, and photographs to be in the virtual social and personal space of your customers or sound or sound exactly yeah, sound, and, sound would some 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 experiences some things sound would have an impact there too that's, I would agree. That, that's right so what that means is that what we're doing now creating a, a connection with people through sound and what you can do with video if you frame it sort of head and shoulders style where 
you make it feel as if you're in the personal and social space of customers. That's one reason why we feel like we know movie stars. It's one reason why we get emotionally close to television and movie stars. And that's something that we as business people can purposefully do. We can purposefully get into the physical space of of our customers, um, having events, doing what you do with C-Suite Network, bringing people together, hosting people so that they are together with like-minded people, be purposefully just taking people out to lunch, being human. And then at the same time, using video, audio, and photographs to show that in a virtual way, which our brains through neuroscience fire in the same way. And I just found that concept to be utterly fascinating. And it's one of the reasons why now when I work my social networks, the photographs I share get way more engagement than just text. Always the case. Hey, what was it like to do a book with your daughter. Oh my gosh. I mean, thinking, was, thinking about all this, you know, the touch, feeling, the humanness of that, what was that like? It was it was amazing. And, and you know, you as a father of a daughter who's, Reiko's 26, I think fairly similar in age to your daughter. Liz, Liz a little bit, a little bit older, but she wouldn't like me saying that, I don't think. <laughs> you know, you watch them grow up and they're, they're little screaming things and then they're toddling around and then they're in elementary school and then they're kind of Boom. annoyed <laughs> at you when they're teenagers and then they go off to college. And we have gotten so unbelievably close by mm. doing this book. You know, we're editing each other. We're chatting all the time. What should go into the book? What should be pulled from the book? We have to respect each other in a new way as equals. Because when she says to me, David, this writing isn't working. You got to chuck this away. You know, this is no good. And it's like, whoa, you know, I'm like, I can't say I'm the father. I'm right. You know, I have to respect. By the way, does she, does she call you David or she say dad? Well, if we're private, she says, daddy. I love daddy. I love the, yeah. the, the D-Y in the end of dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but anytime that there's another person around professionally, so she says, David. My kids do the same thing. Uh, they'll say Jeffrey or publicly, typically. Every, all over once in a while, they'll say dad. But they try to they try to really keep that wall there, mostly just because it's, it helps them more than anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, than us. We, you and I, we don't care. We're still dad. I don't care. And and I, I just am so, so, so happy that I've done this book with her. And and now we're branching off and doing some, I actually did my first event with her. I spoke at HubSpot's inbound conference and, and oh. she, came, she came on stage for five minutes with me. And you know, you, you know what it's like to be yeah. on stage for the first big, a big stage for the first time. So I asked her a couple of questions to get her comfortable. I didn't want to tell her to push her out and tell her to speak for half an hour all by herself. But I'm um, so, it's so <laughs> It's been really, it's been really a remarkable experience, and I've learned so much from her about fandom. You know, mm. not only, of course, is she a different generation. Not only is, of of course, is she a different gender. She's mixed race. She has way different fandoms than I do. She has comes from a way different background, having done neuroscience. Like I don't know anything about science. I'm a liberal arts kind of guy. <laughs> and being able to share our um, very different fandoms together around this thing has been really, really fabulous. Well, let me take another break and I'll come right back to that because I want to ask a questions between the age differences and this whole millennial thing, non-millennial, and then how do you look at fandom differently or, uh, or phenocracy? So we'll be right back.
Good message. That was great. Man, I always love our sponsors and the people that help us keep this thing going because, uh, hey, I love the free enterprise system. I like making money. Don't you, David? (laughs) I love making money. I love the fact that when you do something that's useful for people like you and I do, when you do something to build fans like you and I do, um, that doesn't even feel like you're making money. Um, you're, You're helping people and then that comes back to you in very positive ways. I mean, it sounds sort of like airy fairy, you know, Northern California like, but I truly believe that you get back from the universe what you give. Well, you know, I always tell people privately that I'd kind of do this for free, but, <laughs> but, but, but getting paid is how we, get, how we keep score. So we want to keep that going. I can imagine you look at fandom and phonography, you know, being a part of a, a bigger group different than maybe your daughter does. And what were some of those differences that you saw in Generational? Well, one of the things that really struck me is how open and inclusive the millennial generation is. And I had always assumed this, but just being aware of my daughter's friend circle, but I think they truly are blind to different races and different sexual orientations and, and other differences in people. And that's especially true of my daughter and her friends. Uh, my wife is Japanese, so my daughter is mixed race. And she has many friends who are different races, different mixtures of races who are uh, various parts of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. She recently got married in um, June and the people who came were just literally rainbow. I mean, those photographs we had from the wedding where, you know, it's like when we were kids, they would talk about the rainbow of different people, but it was all white people that I went to school with. (laughs) And this was truly a rainbow. So I think that she and the millennial group can teach us a lot around fandom, around being excited. Um, inclusive about how everybody has a viewpoint that's worth celebrating and how organizations need to get beyond tokenism and Mm -hmm. be truly, truly accepting of all of the different types of people in this world. And it's really tough, I think, for us even though we're well-meaning being, you know, sort of Gen X or baby boomers to be able to do that because our natural inclination is to say, oh, I'm putting on a conference. I need to have at least one, you know, woman and at least one, you know, whatever. And, and that, that becomes tokenism. Well, or, but yeah, checking off the boxes. Yeah. And, and, and for a lot of companies and for a lot of people, quite frankly, yeah, I have a gay friend. Or, uh, you know what I mean? And that's bullshit. I I don't look at people that way. At least I try not to. You know, some of my upbringing made me do some of that. Let's be clear. Because of the way in which the way we were raised decades ago is a lot different than today. And, you know, in one third of my last book, The Hero Factor is devoted towards inclusivity. I think that is going to be a bigger and bigger, not just, I don't want to use the word trend. It's just got to be part of what you do. I think it goes even beyond a trend. I think it becomes the secret sauce. I hate that term, but I can't think oh, of anything better. Differentiator. It can differentiator. become a different. Yeah. It can totally become a differentiator because, on one hand, you can get way more capable employees if you really truly open up that way. And that diversity of opinion, I saw so clearly in writing this book. If I had tried to write fanocracy just by myself, it would have been a way lesser book mm-hmm. than doing it together with a mixed race 
race millennial woman who's a neuroscientist. I mean, it's a completely yeah. different book. Yeah. And the same thing is true of an organization that can not just have a token, and where all the bosses are one type of person, and then there's a couple of tokens in the in the corner, but truly a diverse C-suite, yeah. uh, truly a diverse board of directors, and a truly diverse set of employees and partners and advisors, or, or, or fan or fan base, yeah, you know? or your fan base. I mean, you know, at the C-suite network, I work very hard to make sure that at least half of the people up on stage are women. You know, I know, I know and, you do. and people of color, it, it, and it's not it's not an easy thing to do. But you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's setting an example for everybody else to say, "By God, you can do it, and you will do it." You know, I actually did an interview the other day, and the entire the entire interview was women. It was awesome. Nice. And I and I said, "Look at this! I got three women CEOs." I said, "I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that before." It was awesome. just awesome. Awesome to do. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And and that is what is going to be make make all of us more successful in the future because that group of millennials and the and Gen Z behind them, those are our customers now. Yeah. And that's the way they think. That's a natural thing. It's not something that's conscious. So good for us to pay attention to these things because it, they're absolutely essential. What's the biggest takeaway that you had in writing the book? What was fascinating to me is that this idea of fandom is not just for athletes and musicians and sports stars anymore. This idea of fandom is absolutely applicable for any kind of organization. And, you know, I think about like what sorts of organizations naturally say, oh, 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 I, I can't generate a f fans. You know, I'm just, a, you know, fill in the blank. I'm just a dentist. I'm just a B2B software CEO. I'm just, I'm just in a government agency, but it turns out any organization can develop fans. I, I spent a half day with Jim Bridenstine, who's the director of NASA. He runs NASA. Uh, I wrote a book called Marketing the Moon about the Apollo Lunar Program that was turned into a PBS American Experience miniseries. And Jim Bridenstine invited me to NASA headquarters to talk about marketing. And I said, what do you, you don't need to talk to me about marketing. You have 40 million followers on Instagram, not you, Jim Bridenstine, but NASA. There are people in every corner of the world wearing NASA t-shirts. It's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. They're a government agency, Jeff, and they have 40 million Instagram followers. Hey, David, there's the, we have a president that got elected because of these. Exactly the right. Same, same basis. He's got raving fans. Some people would call them lunatic fans, but nonetheless, it works. And I got fascinated by that. Um, last month, I went to a Donald Trump MAGA rally. I've actually seen 22 of the presidential candidates who are running in the 2020 cycle. I live near New Hampshire. I live 20 miles from the New Hampshire border outside of Boston. And I go up to New Hampshire and see what these presidential candidates have to say and to see how they're developing a fan base. And you're absolutely right. Donald Trump has developed an incredible fan base. And I look at, you know, you asked me the biggest takeaway. I look at what would compel somebody to put a sticker of your logo onto their computer? Mm -hmm. What would compel somebody to put on a t-shirt with your logo on it? What would compel someone to wear a ball cap with your logo on it? That's the ultimate when you create fans is that people are eager to share that they're a fan of you. And that's entirely possible for any of us.
And that's amazing. Well, Sally Field once said, you really, really like me. (laughs) 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 And that's the ultimate. And man, is there money to be made in it. David, I wish we had more time, but we don't. We got to close it off. And I tell you what, we didn't even get to newsjacking. Folks, if you haven't seen or heard about this, get into it. Just newsjacking, Google it, and you're going to see so much about David. But David, I got to have you come back and we'll just talk about that because I got to talk about the moon landing. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that too. Yeah, Yeah. because I know a little insight on that that you did and how you did it. And I think it would be cool for us to to kind of peel that back and talk about the success of that as well. Let's do that. I really appreciate it, Jeff. And uh, wonderful to chat with you. Hey, great book, everybody. Make sure you get it uh, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you get a book and download it or buy it in hard copy and and read it as, as quick as possible. Thanks so much for having us here today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. What a great interview. I'm telling you, it really was. I love talking to David. And of course, you can tell we could talk for hours. And I'm going to have him back on because I want you to know more. But at the end of every interview, I like to talk about the things I learned. And let me tell you, this is my takeaway. Raving fans, big fans, lunatic fans, whatever, they get you elected and they make you rich. So you should be working as much as possible to develop those fans and to create that tribe, if you want to call, or community. I keep saying this. If you can build a community, you can monetize it and it'll set you for life. The other thing is that human connection is the key and proximity, proximity for that human connection either increases or decreases your success. So there it is right there. And I appreciate all of you for being fans of all business and our C-suite radio network. And I thank you so much. And do me a favor, pass this link or this interview on to another person that you know and make them a fan of all business. I love that. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us. And I can't wait to be with you next time uh, right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.